0: Grace and mercy and peace be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord, and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. I don't know what you think about, in particular, when you think about Easter, but one of the things that always comes to my mind is that the greatest event in the history of the Christian church, in fact, in the history of the entire world, took place on Easter. It was the resurrection of Jesus. And you know something? Many of his followers almost missed that miracle. Even though during his time on earth, Jesus spoke about his suffering, his death, and then his resurrection on many occasions. But for some reason, his disciples, just plain simple, didn't get it. When Jesus died, the disciples didn't all get together and say, you know, okay, everything's fine. He'll be okay. He's just going to lay in that grave for a couple of days and then bingo, he's going to come out. Everything will be cool. That didn't happen at all. Instead, they scattered like a bunch of scared sheep. Some of them went into hiding. Some of them decided to go fishing. One of them committed suicide. It was clear that they did not expect Jesus to rise from the dead and yet we know he did after being crucified on what we call a good Friday he was placed in the tomb and on that third day on that Sunday morning that we call Easter he came back to life Luke tells us the story On Sunday, it says that there were some women who went to the tomb. They were going to anoint Jesus' body with some spices, as was the custom, because they felt that that would keep the body from decomposing too quickly. Well, suddenly, while they were there, two angels appear out of nowhere, and and, and they say, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Of course, we know that the women immediately... Turned around and went away. Found the eleven apostles and probably a bunch of other people who were holed up in in a house somewhere. And they told them what they'd seen. But these men did not believe the women because, as scripture says, their words sounded like nonsense. So what happens next? Peter gets up. Peter runs to the tomb. He's going to go see for himself. And when he gets there, he sees an empty tomb. He sees the burial cloth, that shroud, on the ground. But the Bible says in verse 12, even Peter went away wondering to himself, what happened? Well, what did happen? Well, what happened was the greatest miracle in history, but the disciples were not ready to believe it. I mean, it seemed almost too good to be true, but it wasn't too good to be true. It really did happen, as the disciples would soon discover. They soon saw the resurrected Jesus. I mean, Jesus walked with them. Jesus talked with them. Jesus ate with them. He even let Thomas touch his hands and touch his side. Jesus had been raised from the dead, but it took the disciples a long time to accept that miracle. And yes, the resurrection was the greatest miracle ever, in all of history, but guess what? It wasn't the last miracle ever done. Are you a miracle-believing person? I know a lot of Christians who aren't. I believe in miracles. Life is full of them. I mean, God is still at work in the world today. He's still touching lives and changing lives and answering prayers and doing some pretty amazing things. I think in my lifetime, I have witnessed miracles of healing and restoration and some stuff that would absolutely make your eyes bug out if you ever were there with me to see them. Maybe the same has happened to you. I mean, some people experience this on a regular basis, and guess what? Some people never do. They never really see or acknowledge a miracle of God. But whether or not you do depends upon how you approach God's work in your life. Luke 24 tells us why we sometimes miss out on the miracles. And I want to share with you this morning three mistakes that you ought to avoid. Here's the very first thing. We sometimes seek the living among the dead, just like those first ladies. We seek the living among the dead. The women who came to that tomb on that Sunday... We're not expecting to see a risen Jesus. They were expecting to see a dead man lying in a grave, wrapped in a shroud. They expected him to be really dead and they expected him to stay really dead. That's why they brought those spices to anoint his body, to keep him from decomposing too quickly. To them, Jesus was not this risen Messiah. Jesus was this dead rabbi. They did not go early on a Sunday morning like you came today expecting to see the risen Jesus. They went to mourn the death of a good friend. They wanted to see Jesus, but guess what? They were looking in the wrong place. They looked for him where dead people hang out. But Jesus was not dead. That's why the angel said, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's he's risen. You know, we often do the same thing in our own lives. We seek the living among the dead. We seek life among things that only lead to death. I mean, when we're unhappy in our lives, when we are unfulfilled in our lives, what do we do? You know, maybe another drink will make me feel better. Maybe if I stuff myself with food, I'll feel better. Maybe if I buy myself a new car or a new whatever, I'll feel better. Maybe if I have a new relationship or a new affair, I will somehow feel better. And so we look for fulfillment in all of those things, but none of them work because it's like seeking the living among the dead. Now, I want you to understand, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be happy or loved. There's nothing wrong with having a new car or anything like that. There's nothing wrong with trying to seek some fulfillment in life, but it is futile for us to seek those things in ways which cannot possibly work. It's like seeking the living among the dead. Let me tell you about a dead man walking. Some years ago, I met a man. I'm going to call him Randy. Randy told me about how God had worked a miracle in his life. He and his wife were just about ready to have a divorce or to get a divorce. They had each had affairs. They had completely trashed their mutual trust in one another. Randy sincerely wanted to reconcile his marriage And his wife, but his wife just seemed to create more and more distance between the two of them. I mean, she drove him away with her anger, and he drove her away with his jealousy. It was during this time, he said, that he got an email one day. It had an advertisement, and in the message line, it said, revitalize your marriage. Well, he was interested in revitalizing his marriage, so he clicked on it. It was an advertisement. For Viagra. Well, that's not what he needed. But he and his wife decided to go to counseling together and separately. But in one private session, Randy's counselor told him, Randy, you better make plans to begin a new chapter in your life as a single parent, as a single father. But Randy's wife had also scheduled an appointment with an attorney for that Monday morning. But as a last-dish effort, she talked Randy into going to his parents' new church. And desperate for anything, he decided to go along with her. When they got to the church that day, of all subjects that the pastor could preach on was revitalize your marriage. And that morning, when the pastor asked people if they would come to receive prayer or come to receive Jesus, Randy and his wife walked forward. They walked that aisle. They gave their lives to Jesus and and Jesus gave their marriage new life. You see, friends, for months, Randy and his wife had been seeking the living among the dead. They'd been trying to bring life back into their marriage without going to the source of life himself. Well, I'm telling you this morning, friends, on an Easter Sunday, but I could tell you this on any Sunday. If there are areas of your life that seem to be dying, or if there are areas of your life that seem to be dead, God wants to fill them with life. But you can't experience this miraculous power if all you do is keep hanging around in the graveyards of life. Happy hour will not make you happy. Believe me, been there, done that. An affair will not make you feel more loved. A divorce will never take away your isolation or your hurt. Accumulating possessions will never increase your self-worth. Stop seeking the living among the dead. If you want to experience God's miraculous power in your life, then you need to look to the source of life. And the only source of life I know has a name that's Called Jesus. There's a second problem you and I have, and it's this. We consider God's promises to be nonsense. Remember after the women went back and told them what the angel told them? He's not here, he's risen. Verse 11 says, they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Now, can you believe that? The story of the resurrection of Jesus seemed Like, just so much nonsense. This in spite of the fact that Jesus had just told them a few days before, back in Luke 18, we're going up to Jerusalem, everything that's written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock Him, insult Him, spit on Him, flog Him, and kill Him. And on the third day, He will rise again. And to that, the disciples went, what? Completely missed it. On two other occasions, Jesus had told His disciples about His death. Yet, for some strange reason, they didn't get it, or they didn't hear it, or they didn't understand it. So, when they were presented with the truth of His resurrection, they considered it nonsense. Now, I've known Christians who have been extremely sick, who refused to pray for healing because they believed the idea of God healing them was nonsense. I have known people who have been in failing marriages, but they never prayed to God to revive their marriage because they believed that it was too late for this God to do anything. I guess they believed that God's power in their life would be nonsense. I have known Christians who've fallen I have known pastors who have left the ministry in disgrace who never asked God to restore their ministry because they believed that it was beyond God's capability of doing anything about it. Many of you know I call that stinking thinking. I mean, do you see how this kind of stinking thinking holds us back? I mean, how can we possibly expect God to perform miracles in our life When we consider the notion of a miracle to be just so much nonsense. I mean, God has told us again and again in his word that nothing is impossible. He said that there is no situation beyond my power to save. There's nothing in the world that can separate us from his love. And yet so often we reject the idea of God intervening. We consider it nonsense or we consider it wishful thinking or we call it harebrained theology and on and on and on. I remember in a meeting about a year ago telling someone about a healing that I had witnessed firsthand. And another pastor who sat across the table from me said, I have a problem with your experience, it doesn't fit my theology. Well, I'm not really known to be blunt. But I said to him, Did it ever occur to you that maybe God is bigger than your theology? Well, I'm going to be blunt with you this morning, folks. If you have a belief system that excludes God's power from working in your life, then you need to change your belief system. Because what you're believing, you're stinking thinking, thinking is not based on anything that you will find in God's Word. Your stinking thinking comes from this stinking world that you and I live in. Now I know that there are TV charlatans who distort God's miracle-working power, but just because a bunch of goofballs on television or radio get it wrong doesn't mean that we should avoid trying to get it right. And just because some people's words are nonsense doesn't mean God's word is nonsense. What we need to do as Christians is to learn to discern the difference. I'm here to tell you this morning that God wants to work miracles in your life. But he can't do it if you have that same knee-jerk reaction his apostles had. I mean, don't call God's promises nonsense. Stand on God's promises. Believe in God's promises. Put your faith in God's promises. And trust that God will do what God says He will do. Now, I want to make this very practical this morning. I want you right now to think of the biggest challenge that you personally are facing right now. What is the biggest challenge that you are facing right now? You got it in mind? Okay. Now, I want you to think of the best imaginable solution for that problem. I mean, think of the best imaginable solution for that problem. Now, as you're thinking about it, there may be some of you out here this morning who also hear a little voice in the back of your head that's telling you, this is bogus. This will not happen. God cannot and God will not work out a solution. Don't even bother to think that he can. If you're hearing that, tell that little voice to, well, as my grandparents would say in German, Mach die Mund zu. Shut your mouth. Don't listen to that voice. See, a solution can and will happen if you but take your hands off your life, and let God work in it. In fact, your greatest challenge this morning, I have no idea what your greatest challenge is. You don't know what my greatest challenge is. But in fact, your greatest challenge may be so intimidating that you can't even begin to think of a solution today, but guess what? God can. God already knows the solution He would like to work in your life. You just need to listen to the words of Paul. Let me read these to you from Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Friends, the idea of God working a miracle in your life is not nonsense. It's God's promise to you. Believe it. Here's a third thing we need to avoid. You know, we are sometimes reluctant to see life with the eyes of faith. After hearing that report, remember what Peter did? Peter said, I've got to go see this for myself. I can't believe what anybody else would tell me. And when he got there, he saw the empty tomb. He saw the discarded grave clothes. And according to verse 12, he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. I mean, even when he was confronted with the signs of the resurrection, even when he saw the burial clothes unwrapped and laying on the ground, Peter still found it hard to believe. He walked away wondering. Now, I'm not the brightest bulb in the box, but as far as I can tell, there's only two possibilities based on what he saw. Either one, somebody had come in and stolen that body, or two, Jesus had, in fact, been raised from the dead. Which could it be? Peter wasn't sure. He saw the shroud in the tomb, but it didn't convince him. He thought there had to be some other explanation. Let me tell you of another man I know who was seriously ill, a degenerative nerve disease. It had been that way for some time. In fact, he had been told by his doctor that he was in the process of dying. For many months, he was confined to his own home in a hospital bed in his living room, too weak and in too much pain to get out of his house. And since he knew that he was dying, he decided he wanted to go to church one last time. Now, he did not go to some Pentecostal miracle rally. He went to a Missouri Synod Lutheran church, which is about as far removed as you can probably be from some Pentecostal churches. And by his own admission, he did not go to church that day expecting to experience anything, let alone a miracle. When he was in that service that morning, nobody laid hands on him. Nobody anointed him with oil. Nobody prayed for him. And yet during that service, he was miraculously healed of his disease. And before the service, he was carried in and put in his pew. And when church was over, he got up and walked out all by himself. You know what's most amazing is how the people in his church tried to explain away that miracle one person actually came up to him and said, Friend, maybe getting out of the house and breathing some fresh air for a change helped you get well. You know, there are a lot of people like that in this world. People who would rather think that fresh air healed that man than admit that God did it. See, whatever the signs of a miracle may be, people always think there's got to be another explanation. But let me tell you from experience, if you try to explain every good thing that happens in your life, you will miss out on experiencing God's miraculous power. When you see signs of God working in your life, instead of just scratching your head and saying, gosh, there's got to be another explanation. Friends, just allow yourself to believe. Believe in a God who is far more powerful than anything you ever imagined. Man, He brought somebody back from the grave. You need to look at life through the eyes of faith. See God's work in your life and give Him the credit and give Him the glory that's due. See, God still works miracles. It didn't stop on Easter Sunday. I mean, God didn't say, that's my best one, I can't do anything else. God continues to do it, and God wants to work in your life today. Not for your glory, but for His glory. The Bible says that He can do above and beyond all we ask for, above and beyond all that we can imagine. He can take away every event in our life, and He can miraculously take that event and turn it around so that it seems like it's good. If you don't believe me, go home and read Romans chapter 8. He spells it out pretty clear there. You know, sometimes we miss experiencing God's power in our lives because we're just spending way too much time in the graveyard. Or sometimes we let that little skeptic in us refer to God's promises as nonsense or foolishness. Or we refuse to look at life through the eyes of faith. And when we do that, friends, these things hold us back. And if you have any desire whatsoever to move forward in experiencing God's power in your life, then you need to do the opposite. You need to seek life from the source of life, from Jesus Christ, and from Jesus Christ alone. See, we need to believe the promises in His Word, that His power and grace are sufficient to get us through any situation that we face in life. We need to see with the eyes of faith, recognizing God's work at hand I mean some people go and visit an empty tomb and all they see is a vacant room they think there's got to be another explanation we see an empty tomb and we see evidence of a living Christ you know even though you and I are separated from this event by over 2,000 years we can still experience him today you can still have a personal relationship with With him today. A relationship in which you experience his power and his presence in your life on a daily basis. He still works miracles. And guess what? He'd love to work one in your life today. Let's pray. Father, we pray that uh, we not look at you, look for life in places that are dead, We pray that we do not consider any of your promises to us, no matter how great or how small, as nonsense. We pray that we always look through the eyes of faith, that no matter what situation we find ourselves in, we see you and we see your power and your desire to bring glory to your name. Lord, we don't want to miss out on the miracles. In Jesus' name, amen.